Hello and welcome back to the Miss Amanda Chen Show. We're now in season three of the 100 Mass Men series where I anonymously interview different men from all walks of life about self-identity, expectations from society, and how that affects our self-worth. This week was an open invitation for male travelers living in Puerto Escondido to have an open and honest conversation with me. Masked man number 57 is the farm boy. He shares his perspective observing the relationship dynamic of his parents and the relationship between his father and his new wife. And of course, we talk about communication and how things might be misunderstood. I love how we get into a conversation about the idea that consent is ever-changing. We often think we just have to have one conversation and that's it. We never speak about it again. Like I already did that. Now you're making me have to prove myself time and time and again. But why do we think of it that way? Why is it a reflection of your worth and not about you two just trying to make sure you're on the same page? Let's get into it. I hope you enjoy the show. Yeah, my relationship with my dad has shifted over the course of my life uh, around 15, 16, because I had him as a teacher, my primary music teacher every day. And we had a competitive marching band, and he played the role of coach for me. Um, And both being competitive, we started to develop a more, I would say, adult, mature relationship together. That really had much more respect. And from there, it has led to, yeah, us realizing that we have a lot of the same interests and values. And so conversations on the phone with him will last anywhere from two to four hours it's like weird if it's not that long and yeah it's definitely a relationship that is ever involving but is one that is important to me due to him being the closest male relationship that I have in my life and yeah and so from there he has a lot of questions about how I approach therapy and my emotional intelligence and yeah being labeled the the sensitive one growing up out of my entire family it's always been something that we've not necessarily talked about until recently but the concept of therapy like when I told him I started going to therapy when I was 22 he thought that there was like something wrong with me and he's asked like when you know like when are you going to be cured like when do you stop going to therapy and explaining to him that it's an ever-evolving process and that there's no end date to therapy or that i don't go for a cure it's something that's really hard i think for him to grasp because it's not tangible yeah i think um when i was telling my dad well i was telling both my parents about uh needing help with my mental health my dad was really quiet the whole time and my mom was like oh like if you can't send an email it's just like try harder you know like what's wrong you, you whatever you'll figure it out you can, you can survive you know it's it's not real kind of idea and then my dad just spoke up for the first time and he was like amanda needs medicine for her brain you know just so that that was the only way that they can articulate it in a way and then she kind of was like oh okay this is like a different type of health concern that 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 generation just never really touched upon. So how was the relationship between your mother and father? Um, Because you said you're not really that close with your mom. You like, 
love her dearly and you kind of talk to her, but like, is it, do you think it's reflective in terms of um, how your dad interacts with her and how you interact with her? So yeah, my, my parents divorced, I guess it would have been 11 years ago now. They're still good friends. I would say that there's a lot of like love and respect between the two. It's never been the type of like relationship where after a divorce, you like one or the other like talks trash about the other. I've never once heard my parents like speak poorly of one another. With that being said, as I've like grown into adulthood, it has become more apparent why that that relationship and dynamic was not sustainable. I like see I see a lot of myself in both my parents. But in particular I see the 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 values and yeah the the values that my dad places on relationships and those are significantly different than my mom they're not better or worse and my dad is remarried now and there was quite a bit of like animosity towards him during the first stages of that relationship and i i guess i would say i would speak for my siblings to some degree but for myself watching how my dad's wife gives to that relationship differently than how my mom could they're super happy and it's not for me to say if it it should or shouldn't be but I find a lot of fulfillment knowing that my dad is in a relationship that fulfills him and that he feels like he can give to and be more of himself Um, which I could I've started to have those conversations with my dad like yeah I have like not bad things but like oh I've noticed like this with you and mom like was this ever a point of contention and he's like oh yeah totally like that's a huge reason that we couldn't sustain a relationship for 15 years I'm like ah it's starting to make sense and some of the yeah dynamics between my parents and how my mom operates and how my dad operates are are completely different uh and now as an adult I'm like oh I can't believe you guys were married for 15 years like you love each other but at the same time like holy shit like that's a long time to be with someone who's quite opposite do you think that um even if you are opposite personalities or you know like your love languages are different or like you read in different ways completely even though the feelings are there do you believe that um they did understand each other at some point and then they there was a point where they just kind of went different directions or do you think they can come back to it like what are your thoughts on understanding people's personal languages i i think it's possible for two people that have different viewpoints philosophies values to to be in really healthy relationships the key takeaway for me in watching them in particular is communication their communication was absolutely piss poor and it makes a lot of sense now why they were never able to to make that happen is because at the end when things started to like really become a rift i would say the communicate there's no foundational communication skills uh, which is impossible regardless if you're interacting with someone in the supermarket or an intimate lover uh, you have to have a level of 
communication. Um, not that my parents are incapable of that, but I just don't think that that was ever really settled uh, because their relationship was was forced to a degree. And what I mean by that is like they had just started dating when they were super young. And then my dad got my mom pregnant with me and they're like, oh, shit, well, now your mom's pregnant. So we're going to just make this work. And they had two kids later and 15 years. I'm like, damn, you guys gave it a good effort. Like you're great parents still love them today. But I'm like, that's a lot to like start a relationship off. So, uh, yeah, I think communication in particular was something that they obviously had and they worked on, but I don't think it was very intentional. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a difference, right? Communication would be like if you had the desire to to make it work, whereas you're just making it work because that's just what you're supposed to be doing and it's more of a job or a responsibility. And I think that's like what the old generation was taught, you know, like just make it work because divorce is like a big no-no and you don't want to be embarrassing and, and it was more the shame attached to that. But, um, you know, now that we live in this world where you can be more intentional about who you spend your time with and the types of relationships you want to have, what has been the key factors uh, for you in terms of communication um, to speak to women better or men um, in terms of uh, making sure that your intentions are, are clear and that they're received in the same language? Because I think there's a lot of the times where it's just like apples and oranges, you know, and you're just talking at each other and just trying profusely to get the other to understand you and like it both of them get lost right yeah i growing up in the midwest the i would say the communication style is extremely passive and so people aren't they're direct but not transparent uh and what i'm yeah so what i've taken away from that and in analyzing my own communication style, especially now as an adult and as someone who doesn't live in the Midwest, um, is being really intentional about being transparent about what it is I'm trying to get across and then also rationally detaching from whatever outcome and trying not to be outcome-based, whether I'm like, talking to a really like beautiful woman on the beach it's like man i would like love to go on a date with her or i'm like simply trying to understand someone else's political view that's completely different than mine it's like i'm gonna go into this with like no outcome but be transparent and direct in what it is i feel and then also be accepting to to listen in the midwest uh, listening doesn't take place in my opinion. There's no active listening happening, I should say. You're listening all the time to people talk. But are you really comprehending what it is they're attempting to to gather through that conversation? I'd say the answer is no for a majority of, of those. And so as I have yeah, been away from that type of communication style, I'm like, wow, that's like really toxic. And not uh what's the word uh yeah it's just like not very it's not beneficial for anyone and so yeah being being clear and transparent on my expectations whatever the conversation's about um yeah and having no attachment to outcome i think is probably my biggest takeaways from the type of communication style i was born into 
I think like it's interesting with with um, a lot of the men that I've been speaking to in in their communication style, it's meant to get the point across clearly and articulate themselves and, and usually of some position of status, right? That they sound smart and everything makes sense. And it's clear and the other person can acknowledge that and receive it and be like, okay, hey, I've, I've done a good job. This is, you know, point one for me. Um, <laughs> but I think what's interesting is then that's it. Whereas the communication style with women is like, yeah, I heard you, but I would like that to be consistently reiterated every single day. But then on the flip side with men, they're just like, but was I not clear the first time that kind of just said how it is? So what are your thoughts on that? Um, is it different when you when you speak to men and you're just like, OK, hey, this is this is how I feel. This is how they feel. Cool. You don't ever talk about it again. That's it. Um, if you say the same thing with a woman, does she like want to know? If that is consistent every single day, have you changed your mind suddenly? You know, like today you like bananas, tomorrow you don't kind of um, kind of conversation. Uh, I have like this like knot in my stomach as you're explaining that because uh, I would say that my last two intimate relationships with women uh, have both fractured due to my inconsistent communication and so in hearing you describe like the consistency that has been feedback that that has been consistent feedback that i've received from previous partners because i have approached it to the way that you're talking about like okay i was clear i was direct one point hell yeah dude you did it and then i like go about my merry way and then the next day i don't do that or i do it differently to a degree in which is like not helpful in building an effective communication style or partnership with someone and then that's where like rationally detaching like comes into play where i would get that feedback and then be immediately offended by my partner like well fuck that like i already did that so like now you're telling me to do it again or like better when really they're just like no like consistency would be great for all of us like it's not even you but the, this communication style is not working uh and so yeah it's definitely been something i am uh, i'm acutely aware of and am working on daily but that definitely looks different when i communicate with men i guess i don't intentionally place an emphasis on consistency because i feel like you have the conversation once it takes place now in engaging in this this question i'm like oh well that actually doesn't make sense because you never actually understand if someone is is comprehending what you're saying is it consistent for them but we just don't like talk about it there's like kind of like a a wall of a sorts where it's like cool well that took place so therefore he must have understood and i guess i don't really know what happened but i just he acted this way and i acted this way so therefore it's good and then those types of interactions continue to happen with men and i wouldn't say that those are all negative uh but yeah in you asking that question i'm like oh that's a really interesting thought that i've haven't thought about often well now that you say it like that like that makes me realize how much outcome based men are you know because the outcome could be you didn't understand 
you got into an argument and then it was sorted out but you didn't actually define what actually happened you just decided that I guess we were both thinking differently you know what I mean so it's like I said what I said you said what you said and then that was it there was no like (laughs) there was no resolution there it was just a decision that both things have been said so I think um when you move that over to speaking to women you're just like okay well I have said my piece she has said her piece resolution right this is it and then if she brings it back you're like why because I thought there was that resolution that already occurred um why does that why do you think um that's a thing like why do you think um it's difficult to uh re-engage in a conversation again um for consistency's sake because obviously the conversation will be different tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow so you know what's What's the um, hesitancy in continuing that conversation over and over again? Two things come to mind when you talk about the hesitancy. I think one is uh, the level of vulnerability that has to take place. And so if I'm having to have those consistent conversations, especially if it makes me uneasy or if it's something that I'm not very articulate or good at expressing then it's like, fuck, now I have to redo this. It's like if you weren't great at swimming and you got plopped into a pool every day, you're like, this is going to be horrible. Like, I don't know how to swim. Like, I'm going to drown if no one saves me. So you're like going back into that with with that mindset. But I think that that drowning mentality comes from a, a place of ego of like, well, why should I like put my ego aside and change how I'm doing this consistently because I've already, I know I can do it or I have done it before. I've proven myself. So now you're making me prove myself time and time again. I guess, yeah, my outtake on that is, is attempting to separate from, from ego, which my for myself is, is difficult to do at times. And in particular in, in those types of, vulnerable situations so what is the experience like for you kind of detaching from your ego i know you said that you started to attend some men's groups and and become more vulnerable with yourself and you said that none of your friends wanted to join in with you um what was that experience like for you why did you choose to to engage in that experience for me there's just a, a a general curiosity on a how how the world operates, uh, but as I've grown older, I, I realized that this is like a really unique opportunity as a human being to exist on the earth in whatever realm that you want to, and so for me, there's a lot of curiosity around a how I operate as an individual and then B, how do you humans operate with one another? And so by placing more awareness on my role in society and in my relationships with family and partners and friends, it feels valuable to have an understanding. So I'm not engaging in a world with the world in a really unconscious, unintentional way. I guess for me, yeah, intention is is important and feel like I can have more intention in what I do when I have more understanding. 
but in order to do that, you're going to have to be really uncomfortable. Um, why, why was intention such a big deal for you? Like, was there a tipping point or something that happened to you where you're like, you know what, like, I want to be more sure of everything. Like where, why is intention a big deal? Intention is an emphasis because that was a word and a thought that I didn't even know existed for my entire life up until I was 22, 23. I started working at a residential mental health facility in Hawaii. And all of a sudden this word intention came up in the curriculum in how therapists and doctors talked with clients and vice versa and how your colleagues talked with one another. And it, yeah, it's, it sounds silly to think about now, but at age 23, I was like, holy fuck, like this is mind blowing. Like there's this thing called intention and like when you incorporate it into your lifestyle and how you communicate, like everything is enhanced, like there's more understanding. And so I guess for me, I still feel like I'm in my infantile stages of understanding intention. But the more that I incorporate it into my life, the the more benefits I've I've found and the more fulfilled uh, I feel in myself and in the way I interact with the world and in my relationships. Why did you choose to work there in Hawaii? How was that experience? Originally, it it sprouted kind of out of desperation. I had a pretty severe shoulder injury. And I was like really planning on being an outdoor guide and doing all this crazy badass shit, but I couldn't because I was physically injured. And so I f- kind of applied to this place on a whim because it was next to the ocean. It wasn't going to take like a physical toll on my body. And I was farming on an onion farm in Florida at the time. And yeah, get a call and they're like, Hey, can you be in Hawaii in two weeks? I'm like, uh, sure. Sounds good. So I like packed up my old Subaru at the time, drove back to Wisconsin, packed a bag and flew to Hawaii. And it was definitely the start of my kind of therapeutic journey. That's where I would say it, it percolated from. Cool. That's amazing. That's such a crazy journey. We both, I mean, I'm going to go on a 10-day silent meditation retreat. And you keep talking about how you enjoy being uncomfortable and putting yourself in uncomfortable positions. So how was that experience like for you? Uh, where did you go? Um, what did you learn? What was that What was that like for you? And when did you go? Uh, yeah, I partook in a 10-day Vipassana retreat last winter, uh, right before the pandemic in Medellin, uh, Colombia. And I was the most time unfiltered time I've had with myself no exercise no reading no writing no talking really you're not supposed to even have eye contact with the other people that you are with and I realized how uncomfortable I was with myself and my thoughts which is funny coming from someone who spends a lot of time by myself. I take myself out for dinners. I go on extended day trips in the backcountry by myself. But I'm 
always occupying myself with something. And yeah, I've climbed in some really cool places. I've like pushed myself mentally with academia, but sitting for 10 days was by far the most difficult thing I've, I've ever done for or with myself. And then it was really interesting timing, leaving that space and then entering the world of COVID. And so I had a week in between getting out of the retreat to being in Colombia, where it was like, you ha- you need to stay or leave. And I decided to go back to the States and then immediately entered lockdown, which in being able to reflect on that time, that, that retreat set me up so well for the uncertainty of the pandemic. And the pandemic for me was a, a lot of time and for many people just being with yourself. And I felt like I had much more comfort in myself than I would have prior if I just went into quarantine uh, without having that experience. It's something I still am attempting to process now. But yeah, the skills gained in that experience set me up quite well for for COVID. You know, I think it's so weird. This is the second story I've heard about how a 10-day retreat like was a foreshadow or a prep for something. So this other girl told me about her friend that took took the meditation retreat and it she just breezed through it. She took another one and another one. She took like 10 of them and went to Asia and then she got like an eye infection and was in a coma for a year and couldn't move her body, but her mind was still working. So when she got out of it, she became like a mobility coach and she was kind of saying like, all of those, those times were setting her up to prepare her to be able to survive through that coma. You know, it's really interesting how... So I'm wondering, I don't know what mine is going to be, like what that foreshadow is going to be, but I'm, I'm excited because uh, it feels really timely right now. So you said in the very beginning of the first three days, like you hated it. Like it was terrible. And, and you said it's like... <laughs> it's funny how that is the most... Like you said, it was the most difficult experience you had out of your discomfort yet all you are doing literally is being by yourself so what was so scary about being by yourself was it like the realizations or was it just like you've never done this you know like what was the part that was was so shocking to you because you're with yourself I know you mentioned aspects of just distraction and even though you removed all of your physical distractions you still created new distractions with yourself and how did you handle that what did you learn the most about yourself in that time yeah after i came to the realization that you know i couldn't have coffee at breakfast or a beer with dinner and that i couldn't just read whatever article i wanted to or think about really anything I kept coming back to this concept of how, yeah, how distracted we as humans and especially as uh, Americans, we distract ourselves often every day with things. And a lot of times, I guess distraction is used as like a negative connotation. And yeah, there are distractions that are, are helpful. Or I don't feel like, you know, reading to distract or playing an instrument if you're super stressed out is is necessarily a bad distraction. Uh, however, 
yeah, the concept of, of having just yourself and your thoughts was really the first time that I was able to conceptualize how many humans don't do that and how many humans live an entire lifespan without really taking any time for themselves, but let alone that type of intentional time with no distractions. And for once I was able to understand that that was happening, then I was also dealt with the like physical pain of meditating for 14 hours a day. And yeah, I'm a pretty in shape person and move my body often. Uh, and so having that level of stagnancy was really physically painful for me to, to deal with. And you were meditating for like 14, 15 hours a day, right? Basically. And it's funny, right? Like sitting for 14 to 15 hours just meditating. Did you ever practice meditation before? Or did you just like jump right into it? I had practiced previously and have done a little bit of yoga. But most of my meditation has taken place while I'm climbing or I'm hiking or I'm driving. I feel like maybe I shouldn't say that but I feel like I'm meditating and thinking often when I'm when I'm by myself but not in that type of space I, I think the longest I had meditated in one sitting was maybe 45 minutes before and then I just jumped into 14 hours of it which was a little ambitious <laughs> that's awesome though I love the the courage in doing that um would you take it again at this point in time absolutely not no, I I would want to do some more front-loading for myself and maybe practice sitting for a few hours a day before doing that. And I would definitely want to change my dietary routine prior to just help accommodate that uncomfortableness. But in this current moment... I don't feel like I could do that right now. So that's front loading on just like the, the preparation, knowing that like you would be sore from sitting down or just like the dietary stuff um, in the, the new structure or routine that you'd be having. Um, but what else is keeping you from, you know, being thinking like, yeah, sure, I'll take this. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm good to sit with myself again. I've already done it. So like, are there new demons that you're facing now that you're kind of like, you know what? I got to get through these guys first. Uh, yeah, I hate that you asked that question. <laughs> you called me right out. So thanks for doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm pretty nervous to do that again. Yeah. Uh, like I stated before, I think, well, I don't think I know for myself that that was the most difficult thing I have, I guess, physically and emotionally done at one point. Uh, and so knowing how uncomfortable that is, I have a pretty big resistance to it. Uh, it's not so much the distraction part of like reading, writing, exercising. I could go 10 days without that again. Uh, I guess it would be what types of thoughts in having to not necessarily redefine but to re-examine how I exist and interact with the world and that sounds 
uh, a little bit daunting right now. What are those thoughts exactly? I would say how how I show up in relationships. Uh, what is what is it that I'm even attempting to strive for? I feel like oftentimes I have so many thoughts and ideas, and it's I'm a really great thinker, but applying it is more difficult and so i think being in that space again of generating more thoughts and i might during the course of a day sounds intimidating and like really overwhelming and the fear of having to like engage with my ego again it's like i feel like i can keep it in check now uh and i can ignore it at times and choose not to activate that to a degree but when i'm sitting with yourself you're you have to confront your ego and i guess i just don't want to right now it's, it seems mildly intimidating i mean i don't think anyone wants to face your ego you know like your ego could be like a big hairy monster and you're like oh i don't want to talk to this person or, or face them or challenge them in any way right because they're also your protector, right? Um, so I can see that. But uh, what would you say is the biggest um, hurdle to cross um, with ego um, with men? You know, based on your experiences and the friends that you know, um, just because on, the, on a woman's perspective, it's mainly about respect and worthiness um, and what you deserve, you know? So... And, and that's always reflective around others. And I, I think I mentioned this earlier about just women being more of a collaborative group of everything being shared, that normally it's the way that we were uh, raised to be to always share and put ourselves last, right? So then relearning how to have self-respect, um, have self-compassion for yourself has been the, the true battle against the ego that feeds on the validation of others so is it similar different what do you think it is for for you and, and your gender yeah i definitely think uh what you stated holds a lot of validity um for myself and i would say f for men in general with that being said i would say that the biggest hurdle for my for myself is that that concept of worthiness invalidation i'd be totally lying if i said that i didn't care about that but that's i think ingrained in human existence to a degree but i think f as much as men might not say that it's as high of an emphasis i think that yeah that level of validation from your peers or from women regardless of what type of interaction you're engaging with uh you want to feel heard i think all humans want to feel heard you want to feel loved and you want to feel worthy and that you're contributing to something and so that hurdle f yeah for me is like am i doing enough to be heard 
while still being respected and like do i s- still have enough vulnerability to like let people know that i'm a human and that like i have emotions and i'm not a robot it's all of those topics i feel like are constantly embedded in myself when i'm interacting with with anyone whether it's a friend i've known for 20 years or my dad or meeting someone off the street for the very first time well that's interesting that that just sounded like a lot of questions you know like am i this am i that am i I, how do i keep that balance going and how do i make sure that i'm still human and emotive and then at the same time like my intentions are set across um so i think it was really funny we were talking about meeting and we live in the same area so you offered to um give me a ride but we haven't met yet and then you kind of like retracted or not retracted your your statement but you said like oh if you want you know whatever feels comfortable for you so what was that what was that double take for you um in thinking and and messaging me that yeah for for me that uh i guess you know being a heterosexual male being more physically attracted to women engaging in a woman especially for the very first time i would regardless if it's here in, in puerto or back home in the states um i like to think that i'm a fairly kind person i like to act with a lot of kindness and so when that first came out or i had the perception that you didn't have the same level of transportation i'm like oh well i'll offer amanda a ride but then there was this thought in my head of like oh well now are you like coming off too strong like you know you're gonna pick this girl up she's never even met you and you're gonna drive her to this place that she's never been to before i like went through this whole list of things of like well is this appropriate and so then that's when i sent the second message of like oh well if you want to like meet there that's also cool like whatever you're comfortable with yeah that was like a very intentional like thought out process that i had to just send two messages that might have seemingly just come off as whatever for you but for me i was like yeah i had to like really think about being intentional on, on the words that i chose so that appropriateness aspect was that based on the fact that you're heterosexual and that there can be like blurred lines in terms of intention or is it appropriateness of like hey safety first you know this person doesn't know you and like i want this person to feel comfortable so like was it a protective aspect or was it all of those those things like which things were you thinking about is it about like oh my god this person's gonna think i'm crazy or a creep you know like which thoughts uh came into your mind as you were thinking of appropriateness uh yeah, I actually would say it's a combination. Like, one, uh, I just know that it's, like, physically easier to get a ride on a moto yeah. down. So I was like, that was really the main thought of that. It was like, oh, cool, well, it's just going to be easier for her, and I'm going to drive right past her house. So that seems, like, logistically quite simple. And then, two, it was also, it was a conscious choice to, like, keep myself in line of making sure that I don't have any blurred lines of intent with interacting with you. Not that I like feel like I need to like keep myself in check from being 
you know, super promiscuous, but I like talking to women. I like talking with attractive women. And so I was like, cool, like just make sure that you're being professional and just yourself and not, not trying to come off as creepy, mm-hmm. I guess, uh, especially in never having met you before. And so, yeah, I guess those are kind of like two of my intents behind that. Is that something that you think about a lot? Like, don't be creepy, send a second message to like re-clarify? Or is it like, this person might get the wrong idea, so I'll just send extra messages just in case kind of thing? Is it like a protective issue for you? Or is it for them? Um, yeah, like, the second message, I wish I could have just like sent it in one. Like, <laughs> oh, hey, I'm offering you a ride if you're comfortable. That would be great. Yeah, I guess it's more for myself to just try to provide the most amount of clarity of what my intent is. And there are a lot of creepy guys in the world that I have met. Creepy guys that my friends have met and have interacted with. And so that dynamic is just something that I want to actively not participate in the the creepiness and so yeah i guess it's it's something especially when interacting with women is something that crosses my mind to to be to be intentional about making sure to not put them in a uncomfortable situation i think that's a lot of self-awareness though because i don't know if all guys know that they're being creepy so how do you recognize creepy guys? And do other guys know creepy guys? Or like, do you, can you recognize that? Because I think if you're being creepy, <laughs> I don't know if you're that intentional, if you know that you're doing that. And I think that's why most guys get defensive because they're like, that was not at all what I meant to do. Like, why are you receiving it this way? So is it just because they are not aware of what that might be perceived on the other side. How did you get the idea of thinking like, this is what Amanda might think, you know, let me like make sure that my clarity is, you know, on point um, and that everything is transparent versus, you know, I'm just going to say what I say should be enough. If it's not enough, she'll ask questions kind of thing. Yeah. I guess that stems from, yeah. Knowing guys are being in social situations where it's like, all right, this guy's like, behaving in a way that's like a making me really uncomfortable therefore like most of that energy is directed at a person or a group of people in this particular situation it would be women um i guess for me the like the big like defining and it's always going to look different but that's kind of defining characteristic of like creepy for me is like unwanted uh persistence of like maybe it's a phrase or like the same question over and over and it's like bro you're getting the same answer every time and like you haven't even if it's an hour later even if she's had another drink like that doesn't change her perception of how persistently weird you're being and i that think well i don't think i know that that also stems from having experiences of like being creepy myself like i 
don't sit here and talk with you and pretend like I've never done that before. Like when I look back at, especially 18, 19, you know, wasted at a freshman dorm room party, I'm like, fuck, I've been creepy before. And knowing A, how to recognize that in others and also being a part of that myself has helped create more awareness of like, oh, cool. And don't do what these guys are doing because it just ultimately puts everyone in a really uncomfortable situation. When did um, that start to matter to you? Like, uh, was there anyone else uh, in your life that it affected you personally to make you want to start making a change or become more aware of those actions? Or was it just like you just grew up one day and were like, hey, this is inappropriate. I think um, there's one thing to mention is just like when there was a lot of focus around creepiness, you know, there was like more stuff on popular media there's tv shows there's episodes on it so i think that dramatized it in a way that people were like oh shit we can't we gotta like clean up our act a little bit more people are being called out more i don't want to be called out so there was there was that aspect of the fear of like oh i don't want to be categorized in the creepy group or was there you know the other side of like oh my god i i was a creep i need to stop being a creep so is it is it this or that or was it all of the above? Mm, for me, I, th- I think a lot of it actually stemmed from my time working in Hawaii. Um, I was 23 to 25 when I worked there. And I at times had clients that were either older or within the exact same age demographic as myself. And that helped me redefine, not redefine, but brought awareness around how important communication and uh, body language is with working a people in a professional setting. But those skills and like working with certain populations too are you're I mean you're never like one-on-one in a closed room with someone but you're like sometimes engaging with people who have histories of like really promiscuous uh details in their life and you're like you're like oh wow I need to like present myself in a way that is healthy for a myself and to like protect me and to protect my client but we can like have this history you can have your history i can have mine uh and we can still interact in like a really appropriate way that is conducive to healing and so for me it like came from this place of healing it's like how can i develop relationships with men and women that are healthy and then how can that translate into my own personal life and then that just kind of bled through into the way i chose and choose to like want to have relationships in particular with women, regardless if it's intimate or professional or just as friends. Yeah. I, I've seen what that looks like when there's not intent. It creates, um, what's the word? It creates a lot of uncertainty, which in my background or my experiences hasn't like 
lent to like great relationships or interactions. And so I'm like, oh, well, I want as many interactions that I have to be positive for myself and for the other person involved. So this seems like an avenue that I should, that I want to pursue to like make that happen. Okay, I have two questions for you. What do you mean by promiscuous activity? Like you knew that person's sex life or something? And then second question is in terms of uncertainty based on, you know, not enough intentionality. That's kind of like old school hetero dating 101. You know, it's like this turns into that. You know, does that person like me? All of the questions and, and the fun romantic play of, of that guessing game that I think people want in, in, in love and they enjoy the pain of not knowing and the struggle of, you know, throwing your love away and losing yourself into someone, like literally taking your heart and putting it somewhere else. You know what I mean? That concept as, as a popular way of loving. So how did you reverse that thought? Because I think that's what most people are still chasing. Mm. The uh, the first question more so has to deal with certain individuals or clients who have a like a really abusive sexual history or have engaged in promiscuous activities that have gotten them into a place where they need to have stronger boundaries for themselves because their relationships with men or with women uh, in a more intimate setting is, was not healthy or safe. And so, yeah, and working with those clients, you hear their stories. So whether they're there for depression or suicidal ideation, uh, a lot of times, yeah, it was embedded that there was some promiscuous activity involved or with like past, you know, instructors and so it's like, oh, cool. Like I need to be very intentional, like with this client to make sure that there's like no uncertainty of what this dynamic is to, to keep everyone safe and professional. Okay. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, okay. Sense. okay. Can you rephrase the second question? I kind of got lost. Yeah. The, the second one on certainty was, um, you based on those experiences so other people kind of having traumatic sexual experiences and you getting that exposure and seeing how that's affected their mental health so then you just want to make sure that like everyone feels safe that you're doing your job how do you then now take that into the world of personal relationships and having that certainty because kind of the allure of relationships or romantic relationships is the uncertainty and that fun part of not knowing. So by removing it, does it make it less valid? Does it make it, you know, less exciting and romantic? Because I think that's, that's the chase that, um, that people are still looking for. Ah, uh, I guess I maybe didn't explain that with the m most clarity, but I like your question. Yeah, I guess that certainty comes like stems from a place of respect like this for me is like kind of like a foundational yeah a, a foundation of how I want to proceed to make sure that 
people are feeling in this case if if it's a woman you know making sure that she feels comfortable and safe but then at the same time i agree like i love the uncertainty and the kind of like the cat and mouse chase of like oh i'm super into her like i think she's into me like that uncertainty is some of the, the like the most fun of like a relationship or if it's a one night stand whatever it uh correlates to and so yeah i guess i i don't necessarily want to use that certainty as like okay like hi amanda you're cute i'm like not gonna touch you till the fourth date but like i'm like it's pretty robotic and so i yeah don't i try really hard not to be robotic uh yeah i guess it's like stems from more of a a place of respect while allowing room for the the uncertainty which yeah like you said is, is like some of the most fun part of like kind of courting someone so then how would you maintain that balance of certainty and uncertainty because there will be points where it won't be safe right because you don't know what's happening and and it depends on, on which level of an intimacy you get to if you don't know what's going on i know it could be pretty dangerous uh yeah that's where that's where communication comes into play and communication and consent it's really interesting to me as a 29 year old man the lack of conversations that were present around consent growing up and in college i don't blame that on my my family i don't i don't blame anyone i don't think you know i don't think my dad's a bad person for never having that conversation it just wasn't really integrated into the dialogue which is so intriguing to me now where i'm like jesus like if i you know have kids someday i.e boys in particular like this is a conversation from when they can start not just start dating but when they start having more interactions with people they're intimate with this is absolutely should be a conversation or like why is this not part of like sex ed curriculum in in the public school system like mind-blowing that we place emphasis on all these other things but you know consent is never really talked about and so me feeling like i was kind of born and raised in between these two world generations now where like you just kind of inherently you either figured it out or you didn't and now where it's like well now you have an understanding of it and you you can still choose not to do that but then there are going to be consequences if you don't and also if you don't people are going to get hurt uh and so for me it comes down to communication and consent and so when that uncertainty like starts getting heavy and fun and exciting i attempt to the best of my abilities to to have that awareness of like all right cool now it's like kind of a checkpoint in this relationship whether it's been four hours we've known each other or four weeks where it's like cool i'm gonna like do a quick like consent checkup that we're on the same page and then if we're not yeah there are lots of times where it's like actually like i'm feeling this instead and it's like cool sounds great we should like continue with what makes both of us comfortable and it yeah i feel like that has had to for me been a learned skill that i've 
integrated into how I choose to interact with anyone, but in this particular case with, with women. And I, I agree. I think that it's, it's still unclear what the standard way to participate in consent is. And everyone thinks of it differently. Everyone sees it differently. Everyone engages in it differently. So like if you had a, a consent checkpoint and you're like, hey, is everything cool? Someone might not feel comfortable to say, yeah, everything's still cool, you know? Or, or sorry, they wouldn't be comfortable to say no. So they would just be like, yeah, sure, it's, it's still cool. So it's really that acknowledgement, you know? And um, I think there's still the blaming of like, well, you're here, you see everything's fine, right? But then if, if you physically feel trapped, you're just going to kind of go along with it. So I think there's still that misunderstanding or not misunderstanding, but just hasn't been figured out yet. I am really glad you, you place an emphasis on that. Uh, I would say that that is also a, well, if not the uh, biggest or the most important piece to to have awareness of in those moments like okay well now we're like both naked already and and like we haven't consented to anything or like i haven't checked in with her at all where now if it's like oh cool we're gonna just have sex right and it's like well this is weird because you're on top of me and we're naked so i guess and then you ever never hear from her and you like don't know how uncomfortable that made her and so being attempting to be very aware of when and how like you said and i for me that's also a really important piece of the consent part it was like it would be quite easy for me to manipulate a situation to get the the quote-unquote consent that i am looking for but that's not consent and and so it's like all right well the actual consent needs to take place in an environment that is, is conducive for them to say yes, no, whatever it is. And so I guess that's, I'm really glad you brought that up because that's a very big part of the equation for myself of like going through these intimate situations and getting or not receiving consent. It's like, yeah, I never want to just get some verbal consent because there's no other choice like that. Like we were saying, like, that's not consent. And so, yeah, making sure that I'm, A, not just checking in on consent, but how and where it's done, I think is equally as important, if not more. Yeah, I love that you said that because I think of times where I'm just like, oh, it's late. The assumption is that I'm going to stay over because it's late. And then if I do, I can't be like, in the middle of the night, be like, hey, can I go? Because... I am physically trapped or I feel like I'm physically trapped and be like, Oh man, I have to like wake you up and then ask you to drive me home. And this is like a whole situation. You know what I mean? And then I don't feel comfortable about it. But then if you asked me at the end of the night, I have no choice, but to be like, Oh shit. Like when am I, I going to bring up these, these feelings that I want, you know, like, do I want to drive there first? You know, like, do I know what my mode of transportation is back home? Like then I'm gonna have to think of all these additional things. And then I found, I sound psycho, you know, but it's more of a safety precaution. Um, and I don't even know that that was something I felt uncomfortable with until, you know, that question was asked. So I think there's, there's still a lot of, of practice that needs to be done and various scenarios. I want to wrap up with two questions. So the first question is, what did you learn about yourself in today's conversation? I 
learned that taking taking risk and reaching out to people that you don't know always has a, a benefit and not for a professional or, or personal gain but just to gain understanding uh, so like reaching out to you five or six years ago would not have been something that I did and so yeah really jumping in into the unknown and I think that the second part is yeah my my relationship with uh, content and sexuality and how it is ever changing and that staying educated and being informed and aware is great but if it's not consistent is you're going to get left behind uh, which I, I don't want to be a part of that yeah okay yeah I think that's really cool um, I was terrified of meeting people for a while you know just because of COVID and everything and then I was realizing I was forcing conversations with other people that didn't want to have conversations with me so this time I was like I'm going to make an open call and see if people will come to me this time where it's not so like forceful and the the people I've met have been just amazing right like just crazy stories amazing perspectives you know and like the safety and, and comfort has been, you know, pretty well established, which has been shocking to me because usually that's not the case. Like, I don't know if I told you the other couple times in Tulum, I mean, obviously in Tulum, where people would try to take the conversation to a sexual context, like offline afterwards. Right. And it's just like in the middle of the day, it doesn't make any sense, but people are going to shoot their shot. Uh, my last question to you is out of all the things we talked about today, are there any topics that you'd like to invite another man to speak on about further in another episode on the show? Yeah, I, I encourage uh, all men to, to engage in the discussion of vulnerability in how we interact with a, one another, with other men, with yourself as a man, if you identify as a man and then third how does that translate into our relationships with women whether it's intimate or professional or friendly re-examining or examining for the first time those three areas i think is a great place to start and uh, a place that has infinite amount of avenues that you can you can explore. Awesome. Thank you. This was a really nice conversation and I'm so glad I was able to capture it and share it with you today. I love the idea of time and place when it comes to the discussion of consent. And honestly, I got really nervous hearing about this guy's hesitancy to go on another 10 day silent retreat since I'm going on one here in Mexico and spoke to him just before I went into silence. So stay tuned to hear my perspective on that. Make sure to subscribe. And if you'd like to be on the show or know of someone with a unique perspective, slide into my DMs at Miss Amanda Chen on Instagram. And I'll see you next Wednesday with more episodes of The 100 Masked Men.